You're listening to DraftKings Network. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. My assignment. Uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's but... all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> Welcome to the Basketball Illuminati. I'm Tom Haberstroh, and that's Amin Hassan. And thank you for joining us on our maiden voyage into the unknown. On today's episode, we're going to go deep into the bizarre mystery of the missing three-pointer on a segment we like to call, I Was Blind But Now I See. And later, we'll play some trivia, because I did some of my own research, and we'll call that segment, Tom Did His Own Research. But first on the agenda. <laughs> ah, yes. The regularly scheduled pre-planned topics that big NBA media wants us to focus on. What do we got, Tom? We have quite the report here from BR's Jake Fisher inside Kevin Durant's role in Brooklyn Nets' James Harden trade. Lots of interesting behind-the-scenes details about James Harden's social life, showing up late to games, and why Kevin Durant finally gave up on the star trio playing together. The reporting there was that Harden, at least according to many people within the Nets organization, including Kevin Durant himself, didn't come across as very committed, particularly lately. It looked like he was a guy who was trying to get out. And you know why that's the case, Tom? Why is that? Because he's a guy who wanted to get out. He's been wanting to get out, and it predates this trade deadline week and it predates Jake Fisher's original report that Harden was unhappy in Brooklyn and I submit to you it predates this season and it predates last season Harden and Maury were always destined to be together this thing was all a long elaborate con 
to get Harden and Maury out of Houston without having to deal with compensatory picks or tampering charges or that. So what do you do? You use another team as a way station just to clean up the evidence, wipe the fingerprints off. And by the way, it doesn't hurt to gut them in the process. Take Brooklyn out. Brooklyn's a shell of itself. In disarray. Meanwhile, you see the pictures from Harden landing in Philly. Harden at practice. He's smiling. He lost about 40 pounds in between the flight from Brooklyn to Philly. I know there are no airports in Brooklyn. It doesn't matter. It's all been in the making and the evidence is right before our eyes. I mean, are you suggesting that they used the Brooklyn Nets to launder James Harden so they could get a clean transfer to Philadelphia? Isn't that a little much for our first episode? Ozark, baby. Ozark. You know what? Actually, Maze, I think he's on to something here. Put it this way. Remember like two years ago when Anthony Davis, while he was playing with the Pelicans, he got rid of his agent and signed with Rich Paul of Clutch Sports. You know, Rich Paul, longtime pal of LeBron James. And everyone was like, oh, that will never happen. The Pelicans aren't just going to gift Anthony Davis to LeBron James in Lakerland. They told us. Gail Benson said, absolutely not anywhere but L.A. And what happened, Mays? He wore a That's All Folks t-shirt to his last home game with the Pelicans? Yes, yes. So Amin might be going off the deep end a little bit here on some of that. That's not the only example. It happens all the time. All these deals that happen in the league, they all have breadcrumbs around them. You just choose not to pay attention. You choose to bury your head in the sand like an ostrich and just say, oh, that doesn't mean anything. Ethan Strauss wrote a goddamn book about this. Kevin Durant left off every vibe in Golden State that I'm leaving and I'm taking my talents to the Big Apple. I'm going to New York City. When 35 Ventures, his company, moved its headquarters and its offices to New York, everyone said, oh, my God, you guys are just trying to create stuff. Obviously, he's not going to go anywhere. And people railed at Ethan, who was a true truth teller in our business. And what happened? Where did Kevin Durant end up? But he didn't go to New York City. I mean, he went to Brooklyn. Same shit, man. Like, come on. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed it by about five miles across the river. I didn't go east enough. The general premise is the same. Is that we knew he was going to that zip code, area code, greater metropolitan area. And that's where he ended up. Well, because I thought that Ethan Strauss was just a guy who walked around and gave his own opinion on stuff. So that's <laughs> a revelation to me. So, Tom, when you think about this, right? Jake, another truth teller in our business. Remember, he was the one that told us that Harden was unhappy in Brooklyn. And what did they try to tell us? Who's Jake Fisher? Oh, he doesn't know anything. But turns out Jake Fisher was right. So one of the other things he mentions in that story is that other teams have considered making a formal complaint because of the same things that we as the Illuminati are seeing. All these fingerprints, all these paper trails and crumbs and everywhere. Turns out they didn't launder that money nearly well enough, Tom. Yeah, but can you file tampering charges on Meek Mill? <laughs> because of Jake Fisher's reporting, and we all know the connections between Meek Mill, James Harden, Meek Mill, who's a Philly guy. But, like, yeah, he's not on the payroll. Like, how can you file tampering charges based on text messages between Meek Mill and James Harden? Well, I think the connector there isn't Meek Mill. The connector is another mutual friend, Michael Rubin. Mm. Who's Michael Rubin, you ask? Michael Rubin, co-owner of the Philadelphia 76ers. 
And really, that's where the connection happens. By the way, I don't know if you noticed this in the article. I knew about this when it happened last summer, but I'm going to throw this out there to you guys. Maze, hey, do you know who the president of business operations for the Sixers is? I do not. I mean, who's that? Tad Brown. You ever heard that name, Tad Brown? Who is he, Tom? He's the former CEO of the Houston Rockets. There you go. The CEO of the Rockets is now the president of business ops for the Sixers. So in case you're keeping track at home, you've got the president of the team. You've got the president of the business side of the team. You've got one of the owners. They all have a connection with this superstar who is now in Philadelphia. The only part of the puzzle that's missing is a head coach. Mm. Now, Tom, when was Doc Rivers hired? Was Doc Rivers hired before or after Daryl Morey? In very uncommon sequence here, Doc Rivers was hired before Daryl Morey was hired. So they hired a president of basketball operations after they had already hired Doc Rivers. Not ideal if you have a master plan in place to bring the band all back together. Oh, no. I mean, I just realized, I mean, Mm -hmm. I kind of have a feeling of where you're going with this. Do the math. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Two plus two equals. Ford Tony. Two plus two equals. Seven seconds or less, baby. That's what's (laughs) going to happen. No, I mean, think about it. Just think about this for a second. Bear with me, right? Like, we already know whenever the coach is there before the chief basketball decision maker, That's usually not a great situation. But if you're Daryl Morey, it's perfect. Here's why. Because you knew you had to launder this James Harden first. That was going to take some time. So whatever turmoil we can create in the meanwhile, it all just fits in. So now you're in a situation where you went and you got your prize piece. It's on Doc to make it work. But if he can't make it work, you shove Doc out the door. You get your guy Mike D back in there. and now. You've got your holy Pentagon surrounded, protected James Harden, right? You've got the president, the business president, you've got the head coach, and you've got the owner. Everyone's all in. Wait, but are you trying to tell me that the former assistant coach, the, the former associate head coach under Steve Nash, is going to switch teams and follow James Harden down 95? He was part of the whole thing. What did you expect? You thought all these Houston people went to Brooklyn because they like how much the bagels cost or getting yelled at? I thought it was about the culture that the organization had implemented. What culture? (laughs) What culture? There's no culture there. They're hipsters. That's what they are. There's hipsters in Brooklyn. You know what Philly has? Blue collar, honest to God, hardworking folks who deserve themselves a championship. Haven't tasted one since 1983. Fo fo fo. That's what's about to happen here. Fo fo fo. I mean, this is crazy because I pulled up an article that I had written October 2nd, 2020. The headline, Sixers should have hired Dan Tony instead. This is what I wrote at the time. What does it say about the state of the Philadelphia 76ers that I felt Mike D'Antoni was their best head coach candidate precisely because the roster was so miscast for him? Hiring D'Antoni would have prompted a necessary cleanse. It would have signaled a clear-eyed understanding from Sixers general manager Elton Brand in the front office that this team needs shooting, shooting, and more shooting to maximize superstars Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. D'Antoni's biggest knock is that he's no defensive mastermind, but when a team has defensive stalwarts like Simmons and Embiid, that side of the ball would take care of itself. Maze, you see what's happening here, right? I think I see it. Yeah. Turns out there's another element 
Remember, in any great conspiracy, you need the press on your side. Mm. Tom's one of them. One of them. It only took one episode to figure it out. Tom is in here and his hands are just as dirty. How long have you guys been plotting this, Tom? I haven't. I, what are you accusing me of here? That sounds guilty. I wrote oh one God. article saying Mike D'Antoni should have been the head coach for the 76ers. Oh, yeah. No, you're just like Brian Winhurst telling the future, huh? Oh, I, I had no idea. Just spitballing. And then it came true, huh? Look, it didn't come true. It hasn't happened yet. I mean, they okay. didn't hire okay. Mike D'Antoni. I was not a truth teller. You think I would write the story if I was trying to make this happen two years down the line? Okay. All right. I just want everyone to follow the trail. Follow the trail. Uh, and if you do, you'll find out that there's more than meets the eye. But for now, look, hey, you're absolutely right, Tom. Nothing has happened. Nothing at all to see here. Just a whole bunch of buddies from Houston all meeting together in Philadelphia. It's all coincidence. There's nothing preordained or predestined or anything like that. Sure, sure. I mean, I was just thinking Mike D'Antoni was also an assistant coach like a few years ago. It seems like whatever cabal is in the NBA, are you alleging that the wheels were in motion even before I wrote that story that Mike D'Antoni was going to be the eventual successor in Philly and maybe get James Harden years ago, but something got scrambled? Tom, this is what I'm going to say, man. And I think listeners should know this. Because I'll probably say it a lot through the course of this podcast. I'm just asking questions, man. I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable with my questions, but I'm asking questions. I'm asking questions. Can all of this be coincidence? Can all of this lead to a different outcome than the very obvious one? I don't know. But I'm asking the question. And it seems funny to me that a lot of people, rather than just not have an answer, say, I don't know, they're made very uncomfortable by the question, which... Again, takes me back to what are you hiding? What are you so afraid of? Just want to make sure that we have this on tape. Maze, are you recording? We're scrambling our tour. We're logged on to the dark web. This is a secure line, Tom. They're not going to get us this time. I mean, I'm going to send you a clip of a play. And I want you to very carefully describe what you're seeing in this clip. Okay. Buddy healed, just took a handoff from Tristan Thompson, pulled up for a three-pointer and hit it. Watch it again. Watch it again. Watch Buddy healed where he takes the shot. He's coming up out of the corner. He comes around Tristan Thompson for the handoff. Top of the key three-pointer. He's at least six inches, if not more, from the three-point line. I know. It's a pretty basic play. Mm -hmm. Fourth quarter, random Spurs-Kings game. But what if I told you, Amin, that the refs ruled that a two-pointer? Not a three. They ruled it a two. Watch the clip again and keep a close eye on the refs. Yeah, he points down, two fingers down. And the scorekeeper gives him a two. 102.92 should be 103. Isn't that crazy? The referee motions down two-pointer, and they don't normally motion for a two-pointer, a signal for a two-pointer. That's only when they're not sure whether it's a three or two. Right. That's the whole purpose of the hand motion, right? Because two hands up, it's a three. Two fingers down, it means it might be a three, it might be a two. I'm calling it a two for now, but that means... We're supposed to review it in the next break, right? One of the things that's interesting about this clip, I mean, is if you watch again, what is that referee who's signaling down? What is he doing right before the buddy healed shot? It looks like he's having a, was that Pop? Is he having a conversation with Pop? Yep. 
Yep, that's Greg Popovich, all right. He's having a conversation with Pop. I think what happened here is he might have been distracted by the conversation with Pop, whatever Pop is telling him, maybe picking out a wine spot after the game. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) But the point is, the referee signals for a two-pointer. It's called a two-pointer by the scorer's table, and then the game just keeps going. As if no one else saw that Buddy Heald took a three-pointer, clear three-pointer, and made it. No, 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 Tom. This is bullshit. This is the bullshit they try to pull because they want us to believe that not only did all three refs miss it in real time, but they miss it in review as well. How is nobody seeing this? Don't they automatically review these things? That's my understanding, Amin, but this stuff can be super confusing. To make sure I had things right, I called up our trusted referee expert, Don Vaden. He's the former NBA director of officials, former longtime referee in the league, and he currently works with NBA players, teams, and coaches as a consultant for third side coaching. He's someone who has spent many long nights in the replay center, and this is what he told me. There's a lot of people involved, a lot of moving pieces to the puzzle. To visualize it, you have a lower level where there's operators sitting around looking at monitors as the game goes on. Then there's four or five feet up, steps up to the upper stage where the senior managers and NBA referees sit and the supervisor sits to kind of oversee the whole operation process. There's replay operators on the lower level that are assigned one game. There's one person per game. So that's the only thing they have to focus on. The senior operators up top may have multiple games. They may have two, three games going on at a time. But the system is set up where people on the lower level that's looking at their game, if they have a question, they call it out, and then the people upstairs then pay attention to that game. There was a time that the referees on the floor had to go over and look at it during timeouts and make the decision there, but that's been eliminated. Now it's automatic that the replay center takes care of it as it happens during games. So in the instance of a three-pointer that was misjudged as a two-pointer, but it was never corrected, and there was no replay that I can tell, there's a breakdown somewhere in the chain of events. So where could a breakdown have happened? Look, it's set up that if it works, it can never fail. But you've got humans involved, and you have a human looking at a game. Sometimes it just could be missed. Even though you have checks and balances in place, you have the referee on the floor could signal. You have the courtside administrator could help in some way. The replay operator on the lower level could call it out. The senior replay operator could also see it or someone sitting in the replay center could see it. So there's all kinds of checks and balances in place. But again, you're talking about human error and the perfect storm would be nobody Nobody saw saw it. Get the hell out. Perfect storm? I'm sorry. This isn't Hollywood. I don't believe in perfect storms. I believe in perfect plans. I mean, can you just slow down a little bit here? As you've been there before in the arena, they'll say, After replay review, the two-pointer by Buddy Heald at the 755 mark has been overturned. It has been ruled a three-pointer, and the score has been updated. And that happened, right? Clearly, they saw it. They fixed it. No. I mean, they didn't. The game ended and they just called it a two-pointer? There was no review that I can see. The NBA posts their replay reviews online every night. Every single call that is reviewed at the replay center, they provide video and detailed information about the review. 
Amin, this three-pointer by Buddy Heald was ruled a two-pointer, never addressed by the PA or the referees in this game. And believe it or not, the NBA didn't send out a statement after the game saying they have a scoring error in the Spurs-Kings game. Wait, are you telling me if I go back and I look at this game now, the box score, it'll still show that this was a two-pointer and not a three-pointer? That's correct. What do the shot charts say? This is the fascinating part. I mean, if you go to Uh NBA.com, go to this game. So it's December 19th, Spurs-Kings. December 19th, all right. If you go to the play-by-play, you'll see that Buddy Heald's pull-up shot was not ruled a three-pointer. It was a 22-footer, a two-pointer. But more importantly, look at the shot chart within the box score on the official NBA.com website, and you can single out this particular shot in the game. Now, tell me where this shot is on the shot chart. What do you see, Amin? The only shot they have in that neighborhood is inside the three-point line, and it's listed as heel 22-foot pull-up jump shot. That's unbelievable. Aren't the shot charts based off of optical tracking? This is all automated, no? You would think, I mean, but no, this is actually done manually. Obviously, it was not done by an objective optical tracking camera system because there's no way that cameras would put Buddy Heald's feet several feet inside the three-point arc. This shot was at least a foot behind the arc. Whoa, 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 Tom. Hold on for a second. The people reviewing are different from the people who are repping who are different from the people doing the shot charts? <laughs> Sounds like that's your whole perfect storm, eh? Well, batten down the hatches of me because check out the ESPN.com box score. December 19th, King Spurs. Now, wait a goddamn minute. On ESPN, it says Buddy Hill made a 23-foot pull-up jump shot in the same area. And it is behind the three-point line. Well, let me see what that play-by-play says. 755, Buddy Hill made 23-foot pull-up jump shot. Is there a box score different? No, the box score is not different. It's just the shot chart. What's happening here? What's happening here is on the official NBA.com website, where the shot is placed in the shot chart, manually placed, lines up with the referee call. Mm -hmm. However, the independent observer, ESPN in this case, has put it accurately where the shot is. So somewhere down the line, I don't know where this happened, the referee call erroneously says it's a two-pointer. Whoever is manually entering, some low-level staffer, whether he gets zapped in the arm or something like that, he gets a phone call with a very ominous tone of like, Hey man, remember that shot by Buddy Heald? Make sure to make it align with what we had on the referees. Think about that. They got a match. But the ESPN one does not match because the ESPN one presumably is just like, hey, that's where Buddy Heel took the shot. I want to be as accurate as possible. I am plotting it there. There is no thinking about it. Doesn't the league review every game anyway? Like I know we get these last two minute reports, but those are the ones they release to us. Don't they review every game? Go through every call? Funny you should mention that. I mean, I asked Don Vaden that very same thing. Teams do have access to them. Referees can have access to them, too. And it's all part of transparency on their part to make sure that they know at the end of the day how the game was officiated. Now, what we can say is they did not change this from a two to a three pointer after the game. They did not correct this call. In college basketball, we had a similar thing happen where a low-level mid-major game between Illinois State and Chicago State, a game that probably 13 people watched, it became national news when they had a scoring error that was very similar to this. At the end of a game between Illinois State and Chicago State, 
a guy hit a free throw. They marked it a miss. And so the final score was wrong. How'd they catch it? Both teams, I mean, didn't catch it. The referees didn't catch it. Who caught it? The betting community, I mean. Gamblers. That's what I'm thinking about this play right here. It's like, how does gambling not get involved? There's spreads at play. There's all sorts of reasons why you would want to be focused on getting it right. Because I'm looking at the final score. Clearly, it didn't matter to the final score of this game. But it matters in the sense of all the gambling implications, no? This game in particular, the Spurs were favored to win the game and the Kings ended up winning 121 to 114. The key thing here is, and you're right on target here, this didn't impact the spread. The Illinois State, Chicago State mistake impacted the spread because the game ended as a nine-point win for Illinois State, but it was a spread of nine and a half points. So the free throw meant that the bettors are going to be really pissed off if they didn't get counted because it impacted the payouts on these bets. I got a couple of problems. One is the fact that, hey, it's not just the final spread. There are in-game bets that happen about who scores how many points in the fourth quarter? There are over-under prop bets on how many three-pointers Buddy Heald is going to hit. The money line. There's all sorts of things that are happening where that point does matter. And then second of all, and this is more damning, we all make mistakes. But we're sitting here, this is months later. This thing still says he hit a 22-footer instead of a 23-footer. It still says he made a two-pointer instead of a three-pointer. And I just don't understand how a league that prides itself on transparency can get away with sweeping something like this under the rug. I want to be clear here. I mean, I'm not putting this on John Butler who made the wrong call here, the two versus the three. He's a second year ref. Mistakes happen and usually happens more often with new referees like John Butler. The other referees working this game, it's on them too. The crew chief in this instance was longtime NBA official Mark Davis, who's worked countless NBA finals games. He's the president of the referee union. And then there's also Leon Wood, who's in his 25th year as a referee following an NBA career. So it's not just on that younger referee. It's on the other two who are working this game to make sure that they got the call right, to escalate it to the replay center. We want to make sure we got that call right. And then it's up to the NBA after that to own up to their mistake and say, hey, in the interest of transparency, we got the score wrong. Should have fixed it. We'll do better next time. Because the NBA is partnered with lots of sports books. And before this game, if you made a bet on Buddy Heald, his over-underline in scoring was 21 and a half. His over-under on three-pointers made is four and a half. At the time of this shot, Buddy Heald had 15 points and three three-pointers made. So hitting this three would have gotten him closer to that over in both cases. He would have had 18 points and four three-pointers made. So anyone who bet on the over on Buddy Heald, you're feeling pretty good. You're not sweating as much. But then when you notice that it was ruled a two-pointer, now you're sweating, I mean. Of course, he finishes the game seven of nine from downtown. So he hits the over in that category and he had 29 points. So the fascinating thing is Buddy Heald should have had 30 points. And that matters to players, right? I mean, like going from 29 to 30 matters. What's more than that? It's more than like how many points I had just kind of on a, a superficial how I feel about myself way. Buddy Heald has one of the most incentive-laden contracts in the all the NBA. Remember, like it was a big deal when they came out, he signed for this much, but it's really a lot less. And He's got to hit all these incentives. And I know for a fact, one of the incentives is three-point percentage. Another one is where he finishes in terms of three-pointers made 
in NBA rank. I don't believe it's the case right now, but what if, Tom, what if that one shot becomes the difference down the line between him earning a bonus and not earning a bonus? So I checked in with a source who gave me the incentives in Buddy Heald's contract. Uh huh. He gets a $300,000 bonus if he plays at least 70 games and shoots 40% or higher from three-point land and 85% or higher from the line. Forget the free throw line. Mm-hmm. $300,000 if he shoots over 40%. And right now he's hovering right at that line. Oof. So one or two three-pointers is going to probably make the difference for Buddy Heal. Now, there's another one, another $300,000 bonus, Amid, where if he finishes in the top 10 in three-pointers made. Right. So right now he's second in the NBA behind Steph Curry, but... Let's say he gets injured, I mean. That's what I'm saying. You can't say, well, it's all good right now because we don't know how the season's going to end. And we're talking about 600 grand out of this guy's pocket. Did you talk to anyone with the Kings? What do they say? So I did talk to the Kings and they declined comment. <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, what we're seeing here is what I like to call a textbook cover-up. This is a league not wanting us to know about things that are happening before our very eyes. Why? I don't know. I can't tell you what the motives are. I can only tell you that something has gone wrong and nobody has owned up to it. Tom, are we the only people who know about this? Did anyone else notice the night it happened? Well, I'm sure the Kings did. I don't know what they did to escalate this with the league, but I will say I went online to Twitter to try to find the Kings reporters Spurs reporters. Somebody. Somebody who's watching this game. And to my knowledge, I mean, Doug Christie didn't know about it. He wasn't asked about it after the game. He didn't make a point of it after the game. Doug Christie was the interim coach, by the way, because of COVID. Alvin Gentry, who's filling in for Luke Walton, was out with COVID. They had a depleted assistant coaching staff in this game. So maybe if they had their like full roster, I mean, maybe someone on the bench, because it is on them. Right. Part of this is on the Kings for not raising a hand and be like, this is not right. What about the broadcasters? What about, you know, the people calling the game, either on the Kings side or the Spurs side? Did anyone notice? And as a three-pointer, they credit it too. You hear it all the time. They say, oh, they'll check that one in the break. Did they notice? Yes. Both the Kings broadcast and the Spurs broadcast, they both said it was a three-pointer and had to catch themselves in the moment, being like, well, that was actually a (laughs) two-pointer. They never went back to look at the play and say, wait a second, why are they calling this way? What about fans? You told me earlier that betters were the ones that caught the Illinois State snafu there with the free throw that wasn't counted. Did any fans catch it watching the broadcast? Not that I know of from the betting side, but I did see a fan responding to James Ham, who covers the Kings. And when James Ham tweeted out the Buddy Hill three-pointer, a fan did mention, hey, that was actually ruled a two. Imagine noticing that a Buddy Heald three-pointer was ruled a two and then no one seemed to notice. This seems like probably a very lonely experience. The Mandela effect. Mace, what is the Mandela effect? The Mandela effect is when two people have different memories of the same event. So this one fan sees clearly, he remembers that Buddy Heald hit a three. But all the records say otherwise, Tom. Mm. They say he hit a two. Mm. But he was there with his own eyes. He saw the three-pointer, even though the records decided to bury this fact. Just like they tried to bury Nelson Mandela in prison for 28 years for being a political dissident. I'm telling you, I'm onto it. I'm onto the shenanigans, Tom. I catch the vibe. I know what's out there. Here's the weird thing, I mean. 
the NBA posts these last two minute reports. They have this replay center. They have a gazillion TVs in there with probably the top technology for replay review. And what I keep coming back to is if the process breaks down in such an egregious way that a close two versus three call isn't even reviewed, right? it makes me believe that the reason it wasn't reviewed is because it was so egregious. Like the fact that the three-pointer was like two feet beyond the three-point line and the referee just blew the call and called it a two-pointer, it was so outrageously outside the realm of possibility that it wasn't reviewed, which makes me wonder, I mean, if all these fail-safes are in place and if someone does something egregiously wrong and it doesn't get caught, that's scary. That's scary for a league that in a post-sports betting world, a referee could get a call so wrong and the referees don't correct it, the replay center doesn't even review it, and it's as if it never happened. What else are they missing? Because I'm under the assumption the replay center is built for this very thing, is that there's a checks and balances in play to protect the integrity of the game. Guess what, Tom? We're the checks and balances. If they couldn't get this one right, what else are they messing up on that they're not telling us about that we don't know? We just happened to catch this one, Tom. What about the next time or the time before that where something happened and we just weren't privy to it? You guys listen to all these other podcasts and they're arguing about, oh, where's Ben Simmons going to get traded and stuff? No, you can listen to all that other yawn, yawn, yawn stuff. That's what they want to use to distract you guys from the realness. That's why you come here because we'll give you the realness. Tom, I was once blind. But now I see. (laughs) Amen, brother. little bit of an epilogue here. Buddy Heald was traded last week from the Sacramento Kings to the Indiana Pacers, leaving him as the Sacramento Kings franchise leader in three-pointers made. 3,101 three-pointers. Is that counting the one he made that they didn't count or not? It is not, I mean. Okay, so that means one day someone's going to come along and they're going to quote-unquote break his record. But in reality, they've actually just tied it because... But he's still old. One more three-pointer. That's correct. All right. It's time for the trivia segment, something we shall call Tom did his own research. That's right, Tom. And, you know, I just want to let everybody know, you know, you can get your information from like regular places or you can burn a calorie and do your own research sometimes. Get that information yourself. So, Tom, I appreciate you. Hit me. Okay, here we go. LeBron James passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the NBA's all-time scoring leader if you include postseason points. Okay, remember that over the weekend? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. All right. According to StatHead.com records, which active player has the most career regular season points with zero postseason points? Uh, Oh, this is a tough one. Once upon a time, I knew the answer was Monte Ellis. Mm. Oh, no, he made the playoffs with Dallas, I think, one year. So maybe not him. Once upon a time, I knew the answer was Sebastian Telfair. Oh, that is a deep cut. Never made the playoffs. Active players. Okay. That scores a bunch of points. So Monte out. I'm pulling up on my computer just the standings because I like to look at the Oh, don't do this to me. Don't do this. This is called Tom 
did his own research. I'm not not doing research. Amin does his own research to answer the question. Well, I swear, I'm just, I just need the names of the teams in front of me so I can remember the teams that haven't made the playoffs in a while. Sure, likely story. Someone from Minnesota. Maze, are you believing this, dude? Come on. My hands are up. You see my hands. You see my hands. I would never lie. If I know one thing about Amin El Hassan, it's that he's an honest podcaster. Minnesota hasn't made the playoffs. Oh, no, wait. Carl Anthony Towns did make the playoffs. So Sacramento. It's going to be someone from Sacramento who hasn't played in the playoffs. Well, Buddy Heald, I guess, would be one of those guys. He scored a lot of points. Buddy Heald, number two Ooh. on the list. Our Spooky. guy, Buddy Heald. Yeah. Even with that extra point, Tom, he didn't make number one? That's correct, Maze. Buddy Heald is number two on this list. Sacramento and Indiana, he has 7,019 points in the regular season and zero in the postseason. So we're still looking for that number one player. Is this player perhaps an all-star? Yes. Oh, is this player play in the Eastern Conference? Yes, now he is. Oh, there you go. Again, my other other hint that he used to play in the Western Conference. Does he play in a major media market? He does, yeah. Could he perhaps have been the center of his own conspiratorial controversy surrounding, oh, I don't know, maybe a dunk contest? Ooh. Yes, yes. I'm feeling you're getting warmer here, Amin. Yes. Is it Zach Levine? Ding, 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 ding. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. This is fun. That is correct. Zach Levine, Chicago Bulls shooting guard, 8,987 points. Just coming up on 10,000 career points in the regular season. About to be in the postseason. Hey, Amin, which means... Buddy Heald is going to be number one on this list. Yeah. At season's end. Congratulations. Who would have thought the first episode of Basketball Illuminati would be so Buddy Heald heavy? Oh, but Buddy Heald, also a controversy. Coming into the league, everyone thought he was a certain age, but we were all wrong. Damn. He was a year older than he actually was listed. That's where that point went to that missing year, that missing three-pointer. What? (laughs) I don't know. Sometimes you're just flailing out here, folks. What can we believe about Buddy Heels? It's true. <laughs> it's true. I mean, the second parts of this question, curious, all-time leaderboard in this category. Not talking active players, but mm. the all-time leader in most points scored. Yeah, okay. So, again, I believe Monte made a playoff towards the end with Dallas. He did. Okay, so Monte is not on this list. I don't think Telfair scored enough to be on this list. Actually, Monte Ellis was a terrible guess. He made it is a 21-year-old with Golden State oh, in the playoffs and Milwaukee. Remember the Milwaukee team with J.J. Reddick? J.J. Reddick once told me that he never talked to the head coach once. He never had one conversation with the head coach. J.J. or Monte? That locker room was Brandon Jennings. Monte Ellis, it was, I think, was Steven Jackson on that team? Steven Jackson was there. Yeah, he was. Mike Dunleavy and J.J. Redick. And he was traded. J.J. Redick was traded at the deadline from Orlando for Tobias Harris. Mm -hmm. And I remember J.J. once telling me he never had one conversation with the head coach, Jim Boylan. Oh, it was Boylan? Okay. Yeah, Scott Skiles was fired earlier. Fired. Skiles got fired. Okay, back to the question at hand. All right, so Monte Ellis is a terrible guest. Thank you. You're welcome. I forgot all about the we believe and all that stuff. Maybe I was thinking about the most points scored without ever being an all-star. Maybe that's the list I was thinking about. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Never made a playoff. Sacramento has a long drought there. Yeah, man. I don't know, man. Maze, you got anything? 
Gotta take you way, way back. I mean, it's not recent. Three-time All-Star. I mean, does Sharif ever make the playoffs? One-time All-Rookie. As if you could possibly be two-time rookie. <laughs> By the way, I saw that reporting the other day. Someone called Tyreek Evans one-time rookie of the year winner. I'm like, I don't think you can win that more than once. All-time leader in regular season points scored without making the postseason. The answer here, I mean, is a man named Tom Van Arsdale. Oh, I should have known that. That's my guy, man. Van. Well, I mean, his brother Dick is is called Van, but they call him both Van. The Van Arsdale twins, man. Come on, the first twins in NBA history. Wait, are you trying to tell me that Stan Van and Jeff Van are not the only famous Van brothers in the NBA? No, man. No, you also have the Van Bredikoffs. I don't know if they're brothers, but there's Jan Van Bredikoff and Butch Van Bredikoff. Yeah, plenty of Vans. It's like a van parking lot out here. So many vans. Tom Van Arsdale, to bring it full circle here, I mean, from Indianapolis, went to Indiana, and now Buddy Heald is after that record, playing for the Indiana Pacers. Full circle. Nothing is an accident, ladies and gentlemen. I think we did it. We did it. How about that for a first episode? That's pretty good to me. I know. I felt great about it. I hope the listeners feel good. I hope they feel enlightened. I hope they've looked at the world in a new way. And we hope to do this every week going on out. Yeah, the Buddy Heel thing, I still can't believe it. I can't believe that, <laughs> that we have an NBA three-pointer that everyone in the building saw, on the broadcast saw, and still has not been fixed as of now, as of this recording of this episode. I can't believe you guys are surprised that Harden revealed that Philly was his first choice before the trade. Wait, but Tillman Fertitta put the kibosh on that trade. We could have been here like a little bit ago. That's all the time we have for the show today, folks. Tune in oh, next wait. week on Basketball Illuminati. Tillman Fertitta! Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? 
back. If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code SAVE to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. 